This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, everyone. My guest and co-host today is the wonderful Danny Trejo, who you know from Machete, Badass, Heat, From Dusk Till Dawn, Spy Kids, and a ton of other things. Danny and I discuss his formative childhood, his relationship with his parents, the adrenaline rush of taking part in an armed robbery, how to survive prison, and how to make prison booze, two unrelated ideas, early role models, early loves, the origin story of Treos Tacos, and a lot more. Our first call today is from Megan, whose husband wants to move their family to Romania, where he remembers an idyllic childhood. While Megan is open to the idea, she questions the practicality of such a big change and whether the timing is right. Our next caller, Emily, went through a painful breakup and, as a result, also lost one of her closest friends, her ex-boyfriend's sister. Now she questions if she is ready to rekindle her friendship with someone who will be a constant reminder of the relationship she still mourns. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you have a question and would like to talk with us, we would love to hear from you. Just look for the link at unqualified.com. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. Danny! Hi! Hey! How are you? I'm blessed. Thank you so much. I hope you are too. I am so blessed. Thank you. And I think it's been years since I've seen you. Do you remember working on Smiley Face together? Smiley Face? That was years ago. Years ago. (laughs) Do you remember? We were in like the warehouse factory. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. That was an amazing experience. (laughs) Danny, would you tell us a bit about your early childhood? You know, we attempt to give advice for better or for worse. And I bet you have a lot of wonderful advice to give. You know, I wrote a book, My Life of Crime, Redemption, and Hollywood. And it's funny because I never thought I was abused. But yet, when me and Donald Logue, really wonderful, wonderful guy, and he's been a friend of mine since 1991, we wrote a book. And I realized that my whole childhood was abusive. And I didn't realize even the part that my uncle turned me on to weed when I was eight, gave me heroin when I was 12. Don't you think that was abuse? No, I thought it was sharing, right. you know, because he was sharing what it, it didn't seem like abuse to me. My dad married my mother really to take care of me. I mean, I don't know if there was love in that. I don't know. But my family wasn't one of lovey-dovey. You know, you had to be a man in my family. That's right. And that's probably why you never perceived yourself as a victim in any way. No, no way. That that identity was a foreign idea to you. Beautiful. 
God, do you have a couch? I'm going to lay on your couch. That was amazing. But you're so right. I've never thought of myself as a victim. And it's funny. It's like even going to prison. I hate to say I excelled, but I did. There's only two kinds of people in prison. There's the predator and prey. You decide every morning what you're going to be. It's that simple, you know. And the only problem is that you might decide you're going to be a predator But the guy in the next cell might decide that you're going to be prey. So when you say you excelled, does that mean like you figured out the societal pattern quickly? Absolutely. It's kind of like being on a pile of manure. I would rather be on the top than the bottom. And how you get there is to prove that you will not take a step backwards and that you're going to win whatever situation you're in. And in prison, it's like you don't argue. The bottom line to an argument is a murder. So you don't argue. You'll see people go, "Mm hmm, okay, yeah, all right. And you'll see their whole features change and they go off. Now, if they go off, you better get a weapon. Only one that wins an argument is the one that's alive. So, Danny, were you popular? Did you have a lot of friends? Is that part of excelling in prison? Well, I was lightweight and welterweight champion of every institution I was in boxing. So, yes, I had a fan base. But you don't make friends. You have partners. Watch your back came from prison. Because if we're talking, I'm saying I got your back. And I'm looking here. You're looking there. That's where the term came from. I got your back. Because you never want to not know what's going on behind you. This is a really naive question. But when you talk about an argument in prison, is it about like a commodity, like cigarettes or a food item or something? I guess I want to know the content of what a prison fight would be about. People that are doing time only have minimal contact with the outside world, maybe a wife, a daughter, and that's it. Because you're doing time. You don't want time to do you. The people that time is doing have all these letters and, oh, my God, what happened? And, oh, really? And and it's like you have to do time to your liking. If you've got a whole lot of outside stuff going on, then the time is doing you because that's what you're thinking about. What you think about in prison is how you're going to get drugs, where you're going to get drugs, what are you going to do, how are you going to make this money, how are you going to rob this guy. Really, you have to have some hustle that keeps you going all the time. You know, me, guy named Tyrone Rye. Tyrone Rye was a Mexican kid that grew up in a Mexican neighborhood, but his mom was obsessed with Tyrone power. So she named her son Tyrone. Now, Tyrone is an African-American name, and you had to be real careful how you said Tyrone. If you said it too black, he said, what are you talking about? Who, what do you mean? I called him Ty because I didn't want to mess with him. You know? <laughs> A lot of kids started going into prison in the 60s because of acid, marijuana. They all started coming to prison. So a lot of them, prison is easy if you grew up in the system. If you were in juvenile hall, camp, youth authority, and then prison, you already know people. If you went to prison when you were 18, 19 years old without any pre-college education, you were in trouble. Inside, it was protection. Out here, it would be extortion. But either way, it would work for the individual. 
And there was a lot of rules to the protection because people would think because I have protection, then I can do it. No, no, you have to walk a line. Yeah. Because that'll get you killed. It feels much more mafiasque. Like, the term protection isn't fully accurate. The term protection means that you have to mind us instead of being victim to them. Like I said, you're going to be predator or prey. Some of the prey decided, wait a minute, I need protection. I'm fascinated by prison ingenuity. The idea of when humans are really forced to spend a lot of time figuring out a creative idea like making grilled cheese with iron or toilet wine or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us about prison innovation? I will tell you, there's a lot of people that don't know Pruno is the prison booze. And if you drank Pruno any time in your life, you're an alcoholic, okay? Now, that's all there is to it. You're not supposed to tell anybody they're an alcoholic. But I know if you are willing to drink Pruno, you're a damn alcoholic. <laughs> Go to AA. How do you make <laughs> it? You know, you make it with a little bit of yeast, apples, oranges, anything. Apples are the best because it's like Applejack. And it's not bad tasting. Well. Comparatively. <laughs> yeah. You know, it'll do the job. And you just let it ferment. And it's like, you know, you make up five, six gallons at a time. And then when you bring it down, everybody drinks, you know, because you got to get rid of it. But that's what happened to me. Cinco de Mayo, 1968. We drank too much. We used too many drugs and ended up in the hole. Oh, really? You guys were like overtly wasted. Well, all the Mexicans think Cinco de Mayo means 5th of May. But if you're a real down heart warrior Mexican it means get bail money because you're going to need it. Right. <laughs> you're going to jail. All right. All right. <laughs> Danny, will you tell us about your mother? My mom was an indentured servant. I mean, she did everything she was supposed to. I think she hated it. And I wouldn't say she hated me, but she had to tolerate me. I wasn't her kid. I wasn't her son. And I think she realized that my dad married her to take care of me. And I think she resented that fact, you know. And my dad, bless his heart, he was the epitome of the man searching for the American dream, a Cadillac, a camper, and a house. And I think the biggest problem that I had was time. I think parents, more than anything, have to give their kids time. And I'm not crying. They just need time. And if they don't find it at home, I had an uncle, my uncle Gilbert, who didn't work hard. I didn't know he was smoking weed, but he was always happy. He always had a roll of money. He was always clean. Everybody else had sweat rings from work. And they didn't have time. He always had time. I could call him up if I cut school in the middle of the day. Gilbert, what are you doing? I don't know. Let's go fishing. Okay. We had time. And so that's who I gravitated to. And who I gravitated to was a dope fiend and an arm robber. And I wanted to be just like him. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to wear the floorsome shoes and the press pants and the press t-shirt and have a wad of money like that all the time, you know. So then was he ultimately the largest influence in your life? Absolutely. And if you saw him, you'd see why. Massive. He was like this guy. If he walked into a room, you knew he walked in. 
And you were like a kid who was like proud of your cool, big uncle. God, man, unreal. It's like I can remember being 13 years old and cruising the junior high school that I was in with my cousin Sal and my uncle Gilbert. And we were in a 49 Ford convertible. And I had a quart of Brew 102. That was a beer of the time, but it was a great beer if you could stand the lumps in it. (laughs) (laughs) It was like the cheapest beer you could buy. You were all loaded, but we were drinking beer. I can remember passing my junior high school and everybody like watching. And it was like Robert De Niro Uh going down the street. It was unreal. Like, hey, what's up? What's up? I was with the two guys that everybody knew ran things. And so, like I said, they had time for me. I know, believe me, I know the problems of parenthood. You got to pay rent. You got to pay bills. You got this. You got to water the lawn. They got to mow it. But you still got to make time. Danny, you're right. Like, I recognize when my parents are around my son, how much they understand that. Yeah. In a way that they didn't when they were parenting me. Right. You're completely right. They value that so much. And... They also let a lot of things go that they would never have, you know, let me get away with. Right, yeah. It is a beautiful kind of love that they give him. You know, I was a single parent for a while, and I used to go to AA and NA meetings, and I'd take my kids. They'd go. They'd go with me. Donuts and coffee. Exactly. (laughs) The only problem, they'd eat that donut (laughs) Eight o'clock. <laughs> so to get him to bed, I had peel him off the wall. But when they both went through their drug stage, both of them, and I understood. But when they were ready, they knew go to meetings. So it's like the more information you can give your children about not using, about rehab, the better off they are. You know, if I never knew about Alcoholics Anonymous, I'd probably still be a drunk. But I learned about AA when I was 15 years old. So when I was done, it's like, oh, yeah, here's where the success is. Yeah. It's like, oh, I want to learn acting. Go to Juilliard. You go where the success is. And the only time I ever seen success was in Alcoholics and Narcotics Anonymous. Danny, do you mind talking a little bit about the armed robbery? You know, it's real hard to understand whether you're doing armed robberies to support your drug habits or drugs to support your robbery habits, because they become unbelievable, addicting. And my uncle, Gilbert, I'll never forget, we were driving, and this is when I was clean and sober, and we were driving, and I know he had like about $3,000 on him. And I had a couple of grand we were going so, but I was clean and I was in my mom's car. And he said, no, we stab here, Danny. I'll get some cigarettes. So I stopped. He went in, comes out, let's go, let's go, let's go. I was, oh man, he just did a robbery, right? In my mom's car. And we we left. And I said, well, how much you get? He, goes, he got like $85 or something. And I said, Gilbert. And he goes, shut up. You know, we knew it wasn't so much how much you got. It was how much adrenaline you got going. Of course, it's for the money, but the adrenaline is quite a rush, you know, afterwards. Yeah. 
C.G. Sampson, this young lady from Arkansas, is your biggest fan. Oh. When I told her I was going to be on your show, she said, oh, my God, oh, please. So I just want you to know that we're selling crystals together. I'm going to start this crystal business because her boss has a crystal mind. Amazing. Cheech Marin's wife dug out this crystal that looked like New York City. Oh, cool. Unbelievable. This is the one I dug out. Oh, my God. For our listeners, Danny is holding up. <laughs> How much does that thing weigh? I don't know, about five pounds, six pounds. I was digging in the mine and I dug this out. Everybody started screaming. Well, Cheech's wife dug out one bigger than that. Beautiful. It was just like such a great experience. So I said, wait a minute, man. I'm going to dig those out and sell them. Awesome. <laughs> now I'm a crystal entrepreneur. <laughs> That is awesome. Good for you. You definitely have the hustle spirit. I do believe you have to in this industry. You're your own small business. And I do think that that quality is also linked to solution finding. Yes, perfect. Let's don't deal with the problem. Let's find the solution. That is one of my mottos. You know, it's like I hear people, oh, my God, oh, my God. No, stop. We're digging into the problem. Let's figure out the solution. And that is the way I live my life. Everything good that has happened to me has happened as a direct result of helping someone else. I got into the movie business helping somebody. I got into the restaurant business. I did a favor for a director named Craig Moss. Great director. I didn't know him, but he came at me with this film. I said, I don't know. Let me think about it. But I'm working on this other film for like some pretty good money. And he had kind of a low-budget movie. And my agent, Gloria, you know, who's she kept saying, Danny, this might be a winner. I know it's low-budget, but it might be a winner. And I'm saying, yeah, but look at it over here. We got. And so anyway, I went in and did the favor. I said, okay, okay, we'll do it. We'll do it. So it turned out to be a trilogy. The movie was a film called Badass. We did Badass, Badasses, yeah. and Badass on the <laughs> Bayou. But on the first one, this producer named Ash Shaw, Saw that I like to eat good food. I won't eat processed food. And on a low budget, they'll go to, you know, the box and bring 40 tacos or whatever from there. And I'd bring some salad or I'd bring a luncheon. He said, Danny, why don't you open a restaurant? And I, jokingly, I said, Trejo's Tacos, because that's what my mom and I would always piss my dad off about, you know, was, Mom, why don't we start a restaurant? And uh, Trejo's Tacos and my dad being, this was the 50s. That, you know, it was so bad in my family that if one of the women worked when everybody would get together, you know, because she worked. So like she wore the, pay, you know, so they would actually tease you about your wife working. So every time we talked about a restaurant, my dad, would, hey, keep it married right there. Go cook whatever the hell you want. You know I mean? He would like actually get angry about thinking that his wife was going to work. I wonder if he was also angry, though, if he was the kind of man that wanted the American dream and found it elusive, found it kind of impossible to get to. The idea of you and his wife potentially being hugely yeah. successful. Of course. I know. Right now, both of them are in heaven and she's going, see, I told you, you <laughs> stupid, I told you. Should have started the rest. <laughs> it sounds like they were really competitive with each other and had probably very justified resentment. It was funny. Like, even in the book I talk about, I found escape from my dad through drugs, alcohol. And I'm not blaming it on my dad. I couldn't handle it. You know, that's what it was. My mom found it her way. It just broke our whole family apart. But that's my story. You know, that was just what happened. And if I would have been able to 
I don't know, find a better role model or whatever, you know. So I have to accept some of that. I can't say, yeah, it's their fault, you know, because it's not. It's like I didn't excel in school because I didn't like school, but I'd always squeeze by. <laughs> yeah, you made some lemonade. I'm the only person to ever get an A-U-U in math. I got an A for my work. And I got an unsatisfactory and unsatisfactory and everything else. <laughs> Danny, how old were you when you first felt like you were in love? Oh, God. I married a girl named Laura Ferret, my first wife. Before I went to the pen that time, 1962. Oh, wow. So how old were you then when you first got married? 1918. Wow. And did you feel love or did you feel like this is something I need to do? I think it was something that I needed to do. I know she got thrown out of her house for being with me because her mom and dad were Republicans. And I felt it like my duty, kind of. Right. But I loved her. But it was just, okay, well, let's get married. We got married at my mom and dad's house. And my mom and dad both thought that, well, that's good for him. At that age, you're raising each other. In a relationship. Yeah, yeah. And that is really hard. So were you a romantic? I think I was at first. But you know what? It's like, God, man, I was from the streets. And I never left that. We lived behind a bar on Lancashire. So I was dealing pills out of that bar. So it's not conducive to a marriage. Right. And then she would come home and find, you know, different women in the house and different guys in the house and gun deals going on and stuff. And so... It didn't work. I went to prison and she divorced me while I was in prison. Did you have, you know, when you're like eight or nine, did you have crushes? Fila Castro. I remember I was going with a girl named Fila Castro and we'd hold hands and stuff. It was like kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> funny you reminded me of that. Wow. Hope she's listening. <laughs> I do too. Danny, I read that you saved a five-year-old. Will you tell us about that? God saved her. I mean, you know, right. I was driving and I seen this lady on her phone and I seen a red light and I started trying to honk to let her know and... She ran this red light and T-boned this SUV and flipped it over. And I just got out and ran to the car. And I hate to admit it, but this lady kept saying, my baby, my baby, my baby. And I did a movie called Storks. And those were my lines in Storks. My baby, my baby, my baby. I was <laughs> so for a split second, forgive my ego, but for a split second, I think this lady's saying my lines from Stork. And then <laughs> I know it's oh my God. I know it's not about you. And I look at the back seat and I see this kid, his seat broke loose. And he's tipped off and he's like, ah, nana, nana. He's crawling. So I couldn't open the back door because the top was crushed. So big Mexican kid comes over and says, come on, machete, we can do it. And we ripped open the door and the fireman needed the jaws of life. But we tore open this door and I went to get him and I seen that he was special needs. And he's looking at me afraid and I couldn't reach the seatbelt. So this little hand from the little girl that was on the other side of the car said, I got it, I got it, Danny, I got it, and reached over and unbuckled the seatbelt. Then I told him, use your superpowers, grab my neck, 
And he grabbed me because autistic kids, you can't grab. That's one of the reasons why I think police officers should have special training because they come up to somebody autistic and they're trained. I'm trained to take control. But it's not a control issue. It's a, okay, be careful. Watch out. Hold on. Hold on. Come on. Come on. So I told him, use your superpower. Grab it. And he grabbed my neck. And we came out. He started screaming for his grandma. I saw his grandma was all bloody. So I said, okay, well, we'll go over here, okay? Use your... And he kept saying superpower. So when the fireman said it was okay, they cleaned her up and went back. And it was so funny because he leans over and goes, superpowers, grandmas. Oh, um, <laughs> lost it. So I left. I left. I went over to Chubby's Automotive where I always fix my cars. And pretty soon all these news trucks showed up. And they just said, we understand it. Pull this kid out. You know, it was just God put me in the right place at the right time. You know what, though? There's more to this. And it speaks a lot about you. The idea that in that high adrenaline heightened chaos, when a lot of times people can't think, mm -hmm. you told that kid to grab your neck because you knew you couldn't grab him. Yeah, That is really... Special. Thank you. You still have to tell me a great recipe. <laughs> I want to hear it. I want to hear what dish you are most proud of. Well, you know what? I love tacos because they're the simplest and you can put anything in them. And we've put cauliflower. We made a cauliflower taco, which is really popular for the people that are vegan, vegetarian, and has a glaze on it that's absolutely delicious, carne asada. And if you don't like taco, we got bowls in our restaurant that feature whatever it is in a taco. For me, I love the Baja fish taco. I love fish tacos. Oh. I love seafood. What do you put on top of it? everything. <laughs> and that's what's good about it. I love guacamole. And we've got the best guacamole in the world. I don't care what anybody says. But like I said, everything good that has happened to me has happened as a direct result of helping someone else. That's how we got into the restaurant business. We did a favor and bam. I was telling you that Ash brought me a business plan on Badass on the Bayous. And it didn't have any killing in the first page. So I gave it to my agent and she kind of said, this is the no brainer, Danny. Because usually when people come to you, it's only going to cost you 25,000. And they wanted no money up front. This is us together. We'll do this. And, you know, we've got four restaurants right now and they're all doing well. We've got a donut shop that is killing it. Only problem, if there's bakers out there, we need a baker. All right. <laughs> I love it. 
Hi. Hi, Megan. Hi, nice to meet you both. So great to meet you as well. Will you let us know what's going on? Yeah, so my boyfriend has kind of a big idea for us that he's kind of set on. He really wants us to up and move across the world. Uh, right now we live in Canada. He is originally from Romania, been here about 13 years. I've been in Canada my whole life, and he's just very set on going home. And I'm not quite sold on it as much, <laughs> as exciting as it seems to maybe move that far. Obviously, all my family and friends are here. I take a pretty active role in my brother's life. He is special needs. He lives in a group home. And so I'm pretty involved in his life. So the idea of going that far just brings on a lot of guilt. <laughs> and I feel a little bit selfish. Oh, I have a couple of questions. Sure. <laughs> have you been to Romania before? I have. We've been twice before. Okay. Obviously, this idea came about well before everything that happened over the past couple months. He does still have family there. They are still very much watching what's happening so close to home. But we don't feel like it's going to be something that affects this decision long term. Was this an idea conceived during quarantine? No, actually. It actually came about while I was pregnant. And I told him I don't have the hormones to deal with this kind of idea right now. So let's <laughs> stop. Let's we'll table talk it. Later. Yeah. Um, and so actually during quarantine, it kind of ramped up a little bit, really not being able to go anywhere. Uh -huh. And so now he's really deep into it. Danny, what do you think here? Well, my daughter moved to Ohio from Los Angeles for her boyfriend, and she lasted two years there. Mm -hmm. The weather was different. The people, she grew up in Venice, California. So it's kind of like drastic change. And mm -hmm. uh, she was daddy idea. You know, like, come on back. This is crazy. You know what I mean? So I'm glad she got a great job now. She's working back here and she takes care of two offices, one here, one in Las Vegas. So her move was good. And how old is your child? He's two. And you've got a special needs brother. So you have some stuff to keep you here. Mm -hmm. And I've been in Romania, but with all the things that are happening, I don't think I personally would want to move. And for him to ask you to move while you're pregnant, that's crazy. Because mm -hmm. hormones are <laughs> <laughs> Only thing I asked was, would you like a glass of water? You know <laughs> <laughs> Hormones are different when you're brain. <laughs> mm -hmm. They certainly are. I just think that you both got to really sit down and say, wait, here's the pros, here's the cons. Mm -hmm. you know, what are we going to do as a couple? Megan, do you guys fight about it? Like, how much tension is there around this subject? He's very understanding to the reasons I'd like to stay and not go. But it doesn't kind of slow him down. I think he just kind of keeps maybe pushing it a little bit. We're like, okay, well, maybe in a few years she'll be ready. Or maybe when our son's a little bit older, she'll be ready. I think that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you can say, how about in a year we move for a year? Mm -hmm. This is just one idea for a compromise. But Megan, truly the strongest argument is regional uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So you could say, all right, let's assess this in six to eight months. Mm -hmm. And I want to really think of this as a year trial. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's a good idea. Psychologically, I can't look at this as a permanent idea. Mm -hmm. And then in the meantime, I mean, this is kind of on the lighter, sillier side of things. But he's nostalgic and missing something kind of alone right now. 
Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, like, you started making some kind of Romanian food. <laughs> and we do. We live a very Romanian life here. Oh, you do? Okay. We do. Oh, we already do. Rats. That's not much of a solution then for me. <laughs> do you speak the language? I could probably only get myself in trouble. I probably couldn't have a full conversation, <laughs> but I know all the bad words. So. Oh, good. Okay. But it might be fun for you to start practicing with him mm-hmm. a little more. And I think that would make you both feel a little more connected to whatever his nostalgia journey is right now. Mm-hmm. Does he romanticize his childhood? He loves his childhood. He loves the way he grew up. Yeah, he wants our son to have a similar experience than he did. But I also think very much exactly what you said. He romanticizes a lot. He remembers like the, the social <laughs> aspect of it and the good things and going out all the time and whatnot. And every time it comes up, I'm like, it's not going to be the same life you had right. when you were 26 and, you know, you didn't have any responsibilities. So we have right. a house and a kid and bills and it's very different. So, yeah, I'm just trying to make that clear to him. Unfortunately, I don't think you have the power actually to crack mm-hmm. through that romanticism. Mm-hmm. The only thing that does is like a month or two there. <laughs> I think so. And that's the thing is like he always refers back to our vacations there. I was like, yes, but that's vacation. Right. Everything's great on vacation. Right. Where the food tastes better right. and the traffic isn't as big of a deal, right? Right. But yeah, I like the idea of a year trial. You can wrap your head around that. Mm-hmm. There's a chance you may fall in love with it. In terms of your brother, mm-hmm. so you are his main character caretaker mostly? I wouldn't say caretaker. He does live in a group home, so he is fully taken care of in like a house with staff 24 hours a day. They do his bills and everything. I guess I'm his like closest family member. Our dad is still alive and still active, but he's always, it's been a long time accepting it for him. So yeah, I do. I do most of everything else for him. Will your brother be really heartbroken if you tell him that you may be going to Romania for a year? I don't think he would understand. Okay. I think his comprehension is he just wouldn't get it. Okay. In terms of addressing your guilt, Mm -hmm. it won't necessarily change his emotional state if he doesn't see you for a month or two? I think it would, because obviously we went through pandemic without seeing each other a lot. But I think over a few months, it would definitely do more damage. Do you ever like FaceTime with him? We tried. He's not very interactive, I guess, with any type of phone or Zoom or anything like that. It's like a minute or two. And he's like, okay, bye. If you're not there with him in person, he's kind of not interested. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Okay. So it sounds like the weight of your guilt will not be necessarily equal to his missing you, right? Yeah, for sure. It's all on me. I think over time he would adjust. Yeah. It's really just me and how do I like move through it? Okay. So then it also sounds Mm fear-based. Are you a big traveler? Mm -hmm. We do love to travel. So it's exciting to think of living somewhere even for a little while longer and obviously not being able to travel the past couple years it's been like oh okay like we would be able to go somewhere and it would allow us to travel a little bit more because obviously North America isn't great for traveling sometimes okay so if you can handle a year Mm -hmm. and you can make this compromise and I would practically speaking I would just simply revisit the conversation in six months but I do think you should start speaking Romanian with him Mm -hmm. you can just say listen, I am willing to try this for a year, but I really want at the end of the year 
to be able to assess fairly because it is important that we're both happy, we both feel secure, we both feel like this is very much a joint decision to stay or to leave. Definitely. And it sounds like he's a really understanding, reasonable person. He is, yeah, he is for sure. It sounds like he would digest this idea and be okay with it. I think he would be. I think it would be something I'd have to like leave with him and let him think about for a little while. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's a great suggestion. Thank you. I'm kind of excited for you. Me too. <laughs> I think assuming that it's safe mm-hmm. and you can get like healthcare for your son or all the practicals. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's already um, a citizen. It's just me we have to worry about. So <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I don't know the logistics at all. Yeah. Is it a really complicated process to get you over there? Like, can you even do a year? Yeah, we would be able to do a year. I wouldn't be able to work. That would be the tough part, but our son would be all set. All right. So a little bit of you is kind of excited. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Yeah. It's just that guilt that kind of like eats away at you. But yes, I think that guilt is something that's probably misplaced anxiety as well. Like we kind of lump all that shit Maybe, together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you made a decision to kind of be a little proactive, to get some guidebooks, mm-hmm. it may change your mind frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you might really get a kick out of it. I hope so too. But yeah, I think it's a great suggestion to start. It's a great starting point. So thank you. Oh, I'm excited for you. And I love it that you have a beautiful family. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Well, thank Thank you so much. I appreciate both of you and your time. Thanks, Megan. Have a wonderful day. Bye. You too. Bye. Maybe if I knew you before, one of my marriages would have worked out. (laughs) 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 Thanks, Danny. That was awesome. Thanks. I was sitting here where you were talking, well, that's what I do. Well, that's what I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's easy to say all this stuff. It's harder to, like, do any self-examination. That was good. Thanks, Danny. I think that Megan should give Romania a chance, assuming that it's safe. Well, I think you had a good idea for a year. Yeah, that's great. Because then you're not committing to say, let's move. Totally. That was compromised. That was good. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, Emily. Hi, Anna. Hi, Danny. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for writing in to us. Will you tell us what's going on? Yeah, so I met my best friend in college. She came from the West Coast to the Midwest. We became super close. We even lived together after college. And she eventually decided she wanted to move back to the West Coast. 
So at that time, I went to visit her and I'd met her family many times, but I'd never met her brother. And so it was my first time meeting her brother. And I don't know if you believe in love at first sight, but it was just like (laughs) immediately, you know, I was infatuated. My trip was only 10 days, but by the end of it, we decided to do long distance. And so I went back to the Midwest. We did long distance for a while. And eventually he moved out to the Midwest to be with me. And it was all really great. And then the pandemic hit and he lost his job. And it was a really hard time. He got very depressed. And I tried to be supportive in our relationship, but he wasn't really accepting my support from me. And so our relationship went really downhill really fast. And we had like a year that was really bad. The end of the relationship was, you know, not any better. It was very representative of how terrible our relationship was for that last year. Oh God, (laughs) this is a horrible breakup. Yes. I really want to emphasize that because I need you to understand that piece. And I tell you that it's been really hard to be friends with my best friend since. And there's a few reasons for that. So of course, there's like the, she reminds me of him, right? It's his sister. When she talks about her parents, she's talking about his parents. You know, she sounds like him. And on top of that, you know, because she's his sister, she's a little bit more defensive of his actions, a little bit more like playing the middle. And when you have a horrible breakup, you don't want your best friend playing the middle. You want them fully on your side. And I understand that, but I also, that was really hard to handle. You miss her. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Oh, Emily, this is devastating. I'm really sorry. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you really fought hard for this relationship to work, that you really, really loved this person deeply. Yes. And he continued to push you away in a gazillion different ways. Yep. Oh, God, truly, like my heart kind of aches for you because it can be so unbelievably deadening to continue to love and want and the slow infiltration of like, what is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. That this person won't love me back. Right. And I mean, towards the end of our relationship, I was asking for the bare minimum and not getting that. Uh, And that was just so heartbreaking. This was like a long battle. Yeah. And I will tell you that the final breakup, he had been on the West Coast visiting his parents And we broke up over the phone and he left all of his belongings at our apartment and just wasn't returning. So it was a rough breakup. This is a really understandable situation, Emily. Mm -hmm. Your awesome best friend Mm -hmm. meeting her brother, the male version of her, it felt like a perfect fit. Mm -hmm. Your families all get along. Right. (laughs) Everything's awesome. I do want you to know that part of the reason I think you fell in love with him was because you loved her. Mm -hmm. So it's important, I think, to recognize that root because I think it is of comfort to you. Mm -hmm. I wonder if, like, when you've talked about this with her, how deep has it gone? When the breakup first happened, I essentially told her that I needed space and, like, I couldn't talk to her as much as I used to because I needed to kind of get over the breakup before I could really have a relationship with her. And she was super understanding of that. I think I just kind of thought that time would heal this, but like we're a year out from my breakup and I don't feel that much differently about that friendship. Like I feel a lot better about my breakup, but I thought that piece about having a hard time being friends with her would go away and that hasn't gone away. How would you feel if I told you that like right after we talk, 
I want you to call her and tell her that you love her and you miss her and you need her in your life. There's no going back necessarily, but you can tell her how hard it was. Just like you told us, you didn't make any specific accusations about his behavior. Mm -hmm. Would that be relieving to you to pour your heart out a little bit? Or are you kind of like, you know, she hurt me too? I think there's two pieces to it. I think there's that piece of like, she hurt me too. And I think there's like a part of me that is afraid to be vulnerable about how I'm doing related to that breakup because I don't want what I tell her to like get back to him. Like I don't want him to find out I'm struggling still with that breakup so much that I can't be friends with her. You may need a couple more months. Yeah. Because you're going to have to really weigh how much you miss her. There is also a world where you maybe have outgrown her. Mm. Danny, what do you think? I understand. And, you know, time heals everything. And, you know, in God's time, not mine, mm -hmm. you've got to weigh how this goes. If that's your best friend, it's your best friend. And it was funny because Laura, my first wife, was married to Frank, my best friend. And me and Laura split up. And me and Sherry and Frank stayed friends till they split up. And then me and Frank are still friends. So it's like... We just keep moving on. You've got a life that you have got to take care of. Yeah, no, it's true that the breakups always create the division of the social circle as well. She does know a version probably of his side. Yeah. But it sounds like you did not commit egregious behavior. Definitely not. So I wonder what kind of narrative she's heard then. Yeah, I think a narrative she could have heard is one that paints me as clingy, you know, like asking for somebody to love me who doesn't love me. Right. Hopefully she would see that in the right light of what that actually was. Yeah. I mean, clingy is not a reason to not like somebody. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Emily, it was interesting that that gut check that I asked you about, like calling her, mm -hmm. didn't land with relief for you. Yeah. So maybe you just still need a few more months. Yeah. You'll know when the time is right. Yeah. And you've already stated that you need some space. Mm -hmm. When was the last time you guys communicated? It was probably like a little less than a year ago. She came and visited me. Okay. So why are you putting the pressure on yourself now, I wonder? You know, I think it's just something that kind of sits with me all the time because she does every once in a while reach out and she's so sweet. You know, she'll send like love you lots kind of messages like that and quick check-in. You know, earlier when we talked about the root of your love for him grew from your love for her. Yeah. It's like now you're using that extension in reverse. Your pain from him, you're also transferring onto her. Yeah. That love is connected for you. Yeah. Has she done anything that's been mean or specifically painful? So the one painful thing I can say that she did is when she came and visited me, it was maybe a month after our breakup and she was visiting for like two weeks and towards the end of it, she was like, can we go buy a suitcase? And I was like, what do you need a suitcase for? Oh. And she was like, oh, I told my brother I'd bring all of his stuff back for him, which I expressed at the time that hurt me. And she apologized. How did she apologize? She said that she thought that she was being helpful and that she thought I would appreciate that. That seems odd. 
No, it does. Because here's the painful part about it. I'm sure she wanted to see you. But it does, in that raw time, make you think, oh, the only reason she came is to pack up his stuff. Right. And that's why she's here. Although if that were totally the case, she would have brought an empty suitcase. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, to begin with. I mean, she did have a lot of remorse when I told her how I felt. Like, I could tell she felt bad. Okay. But I was surprised how shocking it was to her that I would feel that way. Gotcha. She could have said, I have to tell you, and this is awful. I love you so much, and I'm here to visit you, and I love you. But Zach asked me to pack up his stuff, and I'm so sorry. I know this is hard. Yeah. You describe her as really sweet. Mm -hmm. You said her apology was remorseful. It was for sure painful that she was oblivious, Mm -hmm. but they aren't the actions of an uncaring friend who doesn't love you. Right. So she's missing you too. Yeah. I think just really think about in like the next few weeks how much you miss her and if you did the pain diversion thing. Yeah, totally. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, man. (laughs) You are a lovely, thoughtful, kind person. Thank you. I had to write in because every friend I've talked to has just responded with, that's the worst situation ever. I have no idea what I would do. So you are my last hope for advice. So I appreciate you. Did I do all right? Yes, you did. You did. I think I have a lot of things to think about. Yeah. Uh, Time. It's the worst. Yeah. Danny, Emily's doing time right now. Exactly. (laughs) Give her some mental advice to get over the pain of a heartbreak. You know, when I sponsor guys that are breaking up, I always talk about no communication. You know, just leave it alone. Let it lie. And Mm -hmm. the sister, I think, is the best friend. And I think that you gave some great advice. Wait about three weeks. See how you feel. Call her and say, hey, I love you. And this has been really hard for me. So don't let me put my pain from him on you. Yeah. You'll be okay. You'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful, but time is the only thing. Mm -hmm. Time and distraction. Mm -hmm. I would force yourself to be more social. Okay. I really want you to like go out once or twice a week. Set a goal for yourself. Okay. (laughs) I did fully change careers. And so I have been very busy with that. Oh, good. Congratulations. (laughs) Are you happy? Yes, I'm very happy. Amazing. Emily, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Wow. I am impressed. I'm just totally impressed. I have been listening like... Thanks. Unbelievable. It's like, I wish I had that patience. Yeah. I got to say this. I've done a lot of podcasts. This is the best. The best I've ever done. It's just been amazing. Danny, thank you so much. That means a lot. Danny, I just admire you so much. And I'm really grateful for you. I admire you. Thanks so much, Danny. Mm, God bless you. Thanks, Danny.